welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. We are glad to be back here with you. We've got a smaller panel to this week. Uh, it's just me from our normal hosts. I'm Nell Shamrell Harrington. I'm a senior staff engineer at Mozilla and a DevOps enthusiast. And with me today is a special guest, Bjorn Robinstein. Robinstein, I'm not sure if I said that correctly. Uh, but we are very, very happy to have you with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, hello. Um, it's great to be here. And about the name, that's all fine. I'm, um, I'll always listen if people call me any of these versions. Okay. <laughs> it just works out. Um, yeah, I guess I'm mostly here because I, I play a role in the Prometheus project, which uh, apparently is also important for DevOps enthusiasts. Absolutely. Um, my kind of professional history in a nutshell is kind of short. I worked for Google as an SRE, then I worked for SoundCloud, which has a bit to do with this Prometheus story. Uh, now I work for Grafana Labs, which uh, probably every proper DevOps person also knows quite well. This episode is sponsored by Gravitational. As your team and cloud infrastructure grows, you may want to reevaluate how you access SSH servers and Kubernetes clusters. Gravitational Teleport is an emerging open source replacement for OpenSSH, which was built for modern cloud workflows. Teleport is opinionated. It does not allow SSH keys, and instead it insists on certificate-based authentication, making it dead easy to set up and use. Teleport is fully compatible with your SSH and Kubernetes tooling, comes with a beautiful web UI and an audit log, and it allows users to access servers outside of data centers like IoT devices. It was called Teleport because it creates the illusion that all your company's servers are in the same room with you, even if some of them are self-driving vehicles. Download Teleport on gravitational.com slash teleport or find it on github.com slash gravitational slash teleport. And I understand you were an SRE at Google before the SRE book came out. So it sounds like you were part of the, the inception of SRE as a field there. Yeah, I mean, kind of, it was already there when I joined, but uh, like it was, I was in that situation where recruiters contacted me for that SRE department and I had no clue what that means. And then like the recruiter felt like excited when, when he announced that I will talk to this Ben trainer guy. And I said, Ben who? Whatever, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that, that has changed a lot. That was 2005. Um, and I actually suffered quite a bit because uh, it was so hard to explain what my job is. Somebody just said, because Google was so terribly secretive back then, if I tell you, I have to shoot you. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was really hard. And then um, when, when DevOps became a thing, I thought, that's perfect. Now I can tell people I, I'm doing DevOps. I did DevOps before. It was called DevOps, uh, which back then I kind of felt not quite. Like I, I felt some differences were there between SRE and DevOps. Uh, in particular, because SRE was never designed to be DevOps, but then also Google did microservices before it was called microservices. So sometimes the world just reinvents itself multiple times. Um, but it became really interesting when the SRE book came out. That was when I was already gone. Uh, but I mean, I know most of the people who wrote the book and, and I was invited to do the tech review. Uh, which was a great honor. And then I was so happy because finally I could just tell people here, here's the book that describes my job from back then, right? And this also triggered a huge debate uh, or productive discussion is perhaps the better word about this relationship between SRE and DevOps. And then uh, like last year or was it 
two years ago, I think it was last year, that the SRE workbook came out. And the first chapter is exactly about this topic, which I really liked. So this kind of reacted a bit to the reactions. I mean, back then, nobody knew if people would even buy this SRE book, and then it became this kind of best-selling tech book. And it's one of my favorite tech books, actually. <laughs> um, and, and the SRE workbook picks up that discussion. And, and it's really interesting. And it's really productive because there are obviously very different views, but you can discuss about them and, and come to conclusions, insights. Uh, I really like that. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for your founding work there and uh, all of your colleagues at Google. And then I understand you moved to SoundCloud. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that was, uh, weirdly enough, I was, I'm from Berlin. I'm now sitting in Berlin. We were, we were just talking in our preparation that, that it's midnight here. Well, it's like a nice and sunny day on your side. Thank you for being here with us so late. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a light worker. It's, it's fine. Like, I, um, it's, it's not, not a sacrifice for me to be here. It's, it's quite nice. It's my productive coding time. I could complain I cannot code now. I have to sit in this part. But, but anyway, um, so SoundCloud was in Berlin. It was it's kind of one of those uh, crown jewels of the Berlin startup scene. Um, and it was there pretty early when, when the startup scene was still new. It was exciting. I, I'm from Berlin. I was all my life in Berlin, essentially, until I got that Google job, which was in Dublin, Ireland. Um, so it was exciting for me to see like real tech business happening in my hometown. And I was also at some point, I mean, I really enjoyed uh, moving to another country. I really liked Dublin. I liked the Irish. Uh, I liked my job there. But at some point, I wanted to go back home. And um, yeah, so for a while, I even worked from Berlin for Google, but they they didn't have the proper SRE team there. And I was really like, I really like to be in the room with my colleagues. And then, um, yeah, SoundCloud happened and there were, by coincidence, there were a bunch of ex-Google SREs already working there and I knew them and they told me about it. And they also told me, yeah, listen, we have this problem here um, with um, monitoring, like open source monitoring or the monitoring that a normal company can afford to buy or whatever. And we have a problem here and we decided we want to create something that like semantically is more similar to what we all knew from Google. And I said, yeah, this is just insane. If I were your manager, I would tell, um, okay, no, uh, we are music streaming business. We are not going to reinvent monitoring for, for the world. And uh, we have to like kind of find a way with, with Nagios and, and things, right? Um, but it was kind of tempting. And at some point I said, okay, I really want a job in Berlin. Uh, so I quit and very carefully uh, went through all my options, but in the end, it was SoundCloud after all. So I joined and then, yeah, had the same feeling there. Okay, we are, we are running something. We are now running microservices. We are running something that is kind of complicated. It's, it's I mean, way smaller than what Google did, but it was, compared to the situation when I joined Google, it was remarkably similar. Like back then when I joined Google, it was like a different universe. It was a science fiction movie and, and nothing was similar to, to what I knew. Um, and now I could see, okay, there are things like dynamically scheduled containers and stuff like that. Uh, also, I mean, SoundCloud was for its time, it was really, really far ahead of the field. Like they had the container orchestrator 
home homegrown or container or container orchestration before there was Kubernetes, like Mesos was happening a bit, but they were really like ahead of, of, of the field. And that was probably also why we noticed those problems and, and we couldn't find any other like open source alternative to do our monitoring. So that was the moment where Prometheus was born. When I joined, there was, they already had a working prototype. So kind of the pioneering work again was already done. <laughs> But yeah, it was quite all right. We, we, I joined, uh, I contributed to Prometheus. Um, we had no clue anybody would ever appreciate what we are doing, but it solved our problem. Like we could monitor stuff, we could improve our availability. Like, I mean, SoundCloud really had a very nice trajectory from becoming infamously down all the time to becoming the super reliable service that is essentially all this stuff. And yeah, that was, Thanks in parts to what we what we created, and then it was always open source. And at some point, um, the world noticed, <laughs> and um, the rest is history in a way. Excellent. And now I understand you work at Grafana. Uh, tell our listeners who don't know what is Grafana. So, uh, strictly speaking, I work at Grafana Labs, which is a company that is behind Grafana, the dashboard builder, right? But um, Grafana is five years old now, um, and uh, it was indeed created around the dashboard builder, an open source dashboard builder that we all know and hopefully love. Um, they also back then created a hosted solution to like essentially get your graphite data um, stored somewhere in the cloud as a service, which is because graphite is so difficult to operate. And that was a huge success. It's still a huge success for the company. But from there, like Profana was the signature open source project the company was running or driving. Um, the company also noticed that there was a data source for Prometheus that became more and more important. And by now, I think Prometheus is the most popular data source used with Grafana, the dashboard builder, right? So at some point, there was the realization Prometheus is actually important. So they kind of got involved. And they also uh, acquired a company which was run by um, the inventor of Cortex, which is a hosted Prometheus storage solution. So this kind of triggered this whole uh, trajectory of the company to become like an let's say, observability platform. And uh, Prometheus became really important for them. And um, at SoundCloud, Prometheus became less important because it solved the main problem. I mean, it doesn't solve all the problems. And it can always be improved, of course. But uh, as a, an understaffed startup, you have a lot of problems. As we say, 99 problems. Uh, I mean, if you work on 99 problems, you have way more. And Prometheus or monitoring wasn't one of the 99 problems anymore. So I did more and more other stuff, which was also great. But at some point, I realized I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, I have been almost from the beginning in the Prometheus project. And uh, it's so close to my heart that I thought perhaps I should change jobs after five years and, and uh, join a company where Prometheus is actually part of the business model and, and not music streaming, right? Although I love music, of course. And that happened a year ago more or less, and um, worked out quite well. So now I'm, I'm way more active in the project uh, again. Uh, and, and essentially, my whole day is Prometheus. It's sometimes jump on a call with a customer of us. It's a lot in the open source project, but it's also how we dog food 
and, and monitor our own stuff with communities. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So for someone who you know, knows a little bit about the DevOps space, uh, but hasn't quite dove into it too much, uh, how would you describe what Prometheus is to them? Yeah, so some people say Prometheus is a time series database. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I think it might have even been on our web page for a while. Uh, actually, what, what do we have? Let, let me check that What's on our, on our web page. Um, a leading open source monitoring solution. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, monitoring. Monitoring is definitely a non-controversial word that always fits. Um, uh, so it does, I mean, the time series database aspect was so visible because what people used to do for monitoring was mostly Nagios traditionally in a normal company. Um, and Nagios has a very limited memory in a way, like it, it can count checks and it can alert you if a check fails three times in a row. It has flap detection and things like that, but it doesn't really record time series. But from our experience at Google, we knew how important it is for meaningful monitoring and alerting to have knowledge about the history, right? Have knowledge about time series. Uh, and even more so, of course, if something is actually broken and now you start to investigate what is broken. Uh, so time series are very important. And for Prometheus, um, we had this necessity that we wanted to have it all local on-prem. So we wanted some local time series storage, uh, which we initially built on top of LevelDB. And then later we created various versions of our own um, internal embedded time series database. Uh, so that was a lot of important work there. And this is why probably people think of oh, Prometheus as kind of a time series database. But I usually say like Prometheus has an embedded time series database, but it, it, it's not a time series database. It's also like very specific, like special purpose. Um, and it's not a general purpose time series base, like, like InfluxDB, for example, which is approximately the same age as Prometheus. So it is, what is it then? It's a metrics-based monitoring and alerting solution. That's what I, what I would think. It's also more than just the Prometheus server, which usually if you say Prometheus, you say my Prometheus, then you are referring to your Prometheus server. Uh, it's more like, um, it's more an ecosystem on idea, and it has a lot of components. It starts with a bunch of instrumentation libraries that you use to instrument your binaries, which already hints that this is very different from Nagios, where you usually do something in the outside and, and uh, you, you send a ping probe, an HTTP probe, but Prometheus natively expects you to instrument your, your binary. So that's already part of the idea, and that's why the instrumentation libraries are really important. Um, then it's the whole idea of collecting stuff, of discovering the targets you collect stuff from, which is in the Prometheus server. Then there's an embedded time series database, but Prometheus can also send out this data to external time series, proper time series databases, right? <laughs> then you have an alert manager that collects 
that gets all the alerts from a multitude of Prometheus servers. Um, you have you even had a dashboarding solution because Grafana was very early in its stage back then. And when Grafana got this momentum, we, we quickly tossed that and embraced Grafana as the um, dashboarding solution of choice. There are a lot of in other monitoring systems, you would say agents, uh, little bi blue binaries that export metrics, for example, just about your system metrics, the node exporter, but also blue binaries for, let's say you have MySQL running and MySQL is not, like it's older than Prometheus, it doesn't expose Prometheus metrics natively, but you can have this little blue binary that runs queries against uh, MySQL to find out about MySQL and then converts them into metrics that Prometheus can scrape. All of these components are part of the ecosystem. There is the GitHub Prometheus org, which has many, many repositories, but uh, we, we kind of encourage integrations to be somewhere else. There is Prometheus community as a GitHub org, which has like wider community contributions. But there are also hundreds or probably thousands by now integrations that are just run by third parties in their GitHub or whatever repository. And we try to, to list a lot of them on our webpage. But yeah, sometimes you just use a web search engine to find even more. Excellent. And I understand that Prometheus was added to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation in 2016, and it was the second project after Kubernetes. Uh, what, what did that mean when it was added to the CNCF? I mean, first of all, I, I, for me, it was just a huge honor to, 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 to be there. Uh, we also found so weird things like Kubernetes, Prometheus are both like from ancient Greek. They both have... Um, 11 letters, no, 10, right? So Kubernetes is K8S, Prometheus is P8S, both end on S, and uh, the, the logos have exactly complementary colors. So at some point, I thought somebody orchestrated this all, no pun intended, and that those two projects will find each other at some point. But this is all by chance, right? Those were uh, developed independently, like Kubernetes, developer could have known about Prometheus because it was open source, but they didn't. They really, when Kubernetes had their first like pre-release, uh, we, we were, I mean, we, we, Kubernetes, they were really developed in parallel, but the initial Kubernetes development was happening in Google and all the Prometheus, uh, all, even the people in the Prometheus community that were Googlers were all former Googlers. So nobody had an idea they are, they are like cooking this up. And then it came out and then we had like a Prometheus release. And then at some point we got a call from the Kubernetes people and they told us, this is, this is kind of what we were looking for, like this open source monitoring solution that is so intriguingly similar to what we are used to. Um, so yeah, that was, um, uh, I, I, once I gave this talk about like the beginning of a beautiful friendship or something. Um, but we always have to take into account Prometheus was kind of there before Kubernetes. It works the same with other orchestration. I mean, Kubernetes has kind of won the orchestration wars, but there are like many, many different setups where there's no Kubernetes involved and Prometheus works just as well. Um, but yeah, the CNCF, they wanted something for monitoring um, and, and um, they contacted us and it was, Besides this kind of, it's, it's a badge of honor. We also were actually actively thinking, what can we do uh, to do something like who hosts the website, who holds the trademark? Uh, and, and we were, we were like, sound, for SoundCloud, it wasn't, it wasn't part of the business, right? And we were also um, 
very happy that Prometheus wasn't just driven by a single company. Uh, we pretty early on had contributors from other companies and then pretty quickly it became like, uh, what, what's really important for a true open source project to have many different companies with more or less equal shares in, in this project. Uh, it's also a matter of trust, right? It's obvious that this will not be controlled by the interest of a single company. And for Prometheus, I think that was really important. So having like a neutral organization that, that can like have the domain and the trademark and whatever, that sounded like really pragmatic to have. And of course, there are a lot of practical things that they do for you. They do like marketing for PromCon or help with organization and the gazillions of things. I'm actually not so closely involved with that, but there are some uh, members of the community who are really dealing with them a lot. So they should, they should they should jump in now and tell us about it. But <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So I know I understand it, it. CNCF graduated, or excuse me, Prometheus graduated in the CNCF in 2018. What what does that mean? So they have this tiered model of joining, um, and when Prometheus was joining, that was uh, still in its infancy. So I think there were only two stages back then. You were either incubating or you were graduating, and. Back then, there was only Kubernetes, and Kubernetes was incubating. And this was essentially, they wanted to make those projects ready for being like proper projects. You could also drop out if you realize that's that's not what it uh, what you expected, or the CNCF realized it's not what they expected. And uh, There are a bunch of criteria. I don't know them from the top of my head, but it's about like adoption and having diverse contributors and all those things, right? And um, Kubernetes is, I mean, Prometheus kind of, it's not a close second, right? It's kind of a far, far behind second because Kubernetes is just so much bigger. But uh, it was therefore much harder for Prometheus, uh, sorry, it was harder for Kubernetes to fulfill all those criteria with this project being so big that almost Prometheus graduated first, right? <laughs> In the end, it was like Kubernetes graduated a short while before Prometheus. Uh, but there are a lot of criteria. By now, we have a handful of projects that have graduated. So it's, it's, not, like, it's not rocket science to graduate. You can do that. But yeah, it's, it's a process. And it was exciting. And of course, yeah, gave us some um, confirmation that we were doing the right thing. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clavo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET, and there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. Excellent. Well, stepping back a little bit, I, you know, let's say someone is an SRE or someone's the SRE's manager. What kind of problems could they be facing that uh, Prometheus could help them solve? Like what, what kind of pain does, would you see for a customer or a user of Prometheus having and how does Prometheus help uh, relieve that pain? I mean, I, I guess my personal perspective is really what I had when I left the Enchanted Castle that is Google and joined SoundCloud. And I assume nowadays, um, I mean, most people would, would 
grow into this, right? They have their little startup, they have this um, whatever. I mean, back then I would say they like rent three servers. Nowadays you don't rent servers anymore. You go to the cloud right ahead, right? So things are already different and your cloud provider probably has also some kind of monitoring tools already in, in their offering. So uh, this is all with a big disclaimer that for if you grow into this situation where you need like something like Prometheus, you will probably have a very different experience. But I will still tell my story, story where something is still true. <laughs> Uh, so the problem was that I'm, I hinted at that uh, uh, SoundCloud was ahead of the pack. They were totally riding the microservice hype train. I mean, for reasons, right? Many people jumped on that train later and they probably should not have. But SoundCloud had definitely reached that state where they had like, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of users. And um, they had a monolith that was really showing all the typical symptoms of a monolith. Uh, innovation came to a grinding hall, nobody dared to touch it. So they started to, and they did, they did not this big bang migration, they started to, to uh, gradually um, move out services out of the, micro, out of the monolith into microservices. Uh, but back then there was no Kubernetes, there wasn't even Docker. Um, so how do you run those microservices in a way that, that actually makes sense, right? If, if you that have dedicated machines for every microservice instance, it doesn't really work. So they created a, um, a homegrown um, container orchestration platform called Bazooka. That was supposed to be open source, but I kind of missed that point. At, Whatever, then Kubernetes came out and, and now SoundCloud runs on Kubernetes. But back then, this was this solution that was uh, at the same time was, yeah, really like weird, but also very innovative. And now you could like dynamically schedule little instances of microservices on a cluster. And they were running somewhere and they were breaking, of course. And uh, you could only see that the site is down and you had no clue why. I mean, Ideally, you already had some alert that would tell you the site is down, but in practice, that was actually the case more often than not, that the uh, community people in the company realized everybody's tweeting about SoundCloud being down. We better ask the engineers if something is actually down. <laughs> I've, at places I've worked, the first place I always learn about the outage is Twitter. It's yeah, just yeah. like within seconds or, or within one or two seconds, no matter what time, it seems like someone's tweeting about it. Yeah, I mean, many companies, I think Google did this as well for very important services that they, they, the person on call get a page if they tweet like typical phrases about the site being down. So, I mean, I always call like Twitter is like the zeroth approximation of a monitoring system. <laughs> so I mean, that was, this is the one thing, but just finding out if everything is working is still like, this is the first thing, but even if you get this alert, something is down, and now getting to the next step. So why is it down? That's the one thing where you, where you, I mean, first of all, it's already a challenge to find out if you're up or not. But even if you master this challenge with, let's say, a Nagios probe or some external probe or service that you pay money for, that they probe your service, um, even if you have that and then you know you're down, now you have to find out what's the reason. And the other problem is um, that you would also like to solve that you can kind of find out just before you're down um, that you have to do something. A third aspect to bring this in is this like famous error budget concept that uh, you could read about in the SRE book. Um, that's also um, very, I think, very important for a DevOps approach where you want to have a reasonable 
uh, rule when you are allowed to push new features and when you should hold back. And this is also something like to measure an error budget, you need some kind of metric to, to do this along that um, uh, to, to find out. And then you can also alert on that. This is a very nice alert that you realize your site is not completely down, but you're like throwing a few percent of errors and that's burning your error budget. Um, that also makes a lot of sense. And none of this was remotely possible in the situation we had back then. Got it. Awesome. Uh, well, anything else you'd like people to know about Prometheus or monitoring in general? I guess it's this general notion of Prometheus not trying to solve all your problem. Uh, it was, we were always very vocal about uh, our, yeah, which, which kind of problems we want to solve. And, and one of the, in, in the initial phase, very urgent demand was long-term storage of metrics. Um, and we always said Prometheus is not a long-term storage. Now we kind of have to, uh, uh, we communicated that too well. Now people think Prometheus is really very, very short-term. I mean, you can definitely, if you don't have too much load, you can save years of metrics on your Prometheus server. It's just not a distributed metric storage that is highly available and perfectly durable. And there are a lot of solutions now out there that integrate with Prometheus and provide you that, that um, remote storage, as you call it. Like Cordex and Thanos are perhaps the most well-known solutions, but there are a lot. Like we list them all on our, on our Prometheus.io project page. Um, but then, of course, there's way more than just metrics-based monitoring. And um, that's where we're also like some people just try to, to shoehorn Prometheus into a solution for all of that. The most um, typical thing is that they try to use Prometheus as an event logging system. And we always very clearly said, you should just have a logs processing system, right? That, that is just part of what you need. And you should not try to turn Prometheus into one. Um, yeah, so it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's a bigger, um, it's a bigger picture you must have. And um, luckily, there is a lot going on in the open source monitoring space. Um, some people now call it observability, but I think that's a whole different story, <laughs> which word you should, should pick here. Um, for me, it was always monitoring, but yeah. Um, a lot is going on there, and I think there is, is uh, yeah, it's, it's great what, what's happening there compared to um, when did I, like, Seven years ago, that was when I left Google. It was, it really felt like, I don't know, brownfield or something. <laughs> Nothing is here, like everybody's trying to model through in a way. And, and now you have so many super interesting open source projects. I think it really highlights how we've moved from, you know, in the book, uh, Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal, he talks about the difference between complicated systems, which although they're difficult, they are knowable and complex systems which no one can know it entirely because it's constantly changing, interacting with other systems. And I've, what I thought is the, the emphasis we've seen on monitoring and observability is part of that. We can't predict everything a system is going to do and prevent it from doing anything bad. We have to be able to uh, you know, detect it and react and understand why it's behaving in that way because often it's something we never considered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the good outages are those that have done something completely new. I mean, they are fun in a way. They also <laughs> sometimes really, really like, I don't know, 
it, it's it's bad in that moment, but in hindsight, it feels really great if if you have learned something about that. Well, the outages that are exactly the same thing that happens every Saturday afternoon, they are easy to fix, but they're also very annoying in hindsight, right? You don't want those, right? You want interesting outages. Uh, but then, of course, you you have to be prepared for the things you cannot really prepare for. <laughs> know the unknowns or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing. And, and Prometheus for me is a very important part of this story to, to, um, find outages that are new and interesting, but it's not the only tool you need for that. Awesome. Well, I think this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode with, with only two people and that's okay. We've covered uh, fantastic information on in this and thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it's so late for you where you are in Berlin and sharing this knowledge with us. Uh, a way we usually end our shows is we name one or two picks, uh, things that have we found useful, found meaning in. They can be technical. They can be non-technical. Um, my pick this week, I am very late on this, but I finally started watching Picard, the series. And I am someone who grew up on Next Generation. Like, I seriously watched two to three episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation a day when it was on reruns in the mid and late 90s. And I tell people, other than my parents, you know, Next Generation is pro probably had the biggest influence on me learning how to behave. And so it's wonderful to be visiting that world again when I'm a little older, when all the characters are a little older, when the world isn't what it seems like it was, you know, 20 years ago. And I'm really enjoying it. So highly recommend it. Uh, how about you? What's something that's been useful to you recently? You mean like as as pick as in something I watched? Something you watched or read or a tool that you used? I don't know. Like I actually Picard was the last uh, uh, series that I watched uh, recently, and um, I mean, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. <laughs> Perhaps to to circle back to my own life, this this like. Um, this one episode where Picard comes back to Starfleet after his retirement <laughs> and goes like to the to the to the receptionist and has to spell his name. This is exactly how I feel if I visit a Google office. <laughs> it's exciting. I go to this receptionist. Everybody, everything is very colorful and fancy, and and then, um, yeah, of course, I mean, not. I didn't really expect that the receptionist might recognize me, but um, yeah, it 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 was yeah. It, it has struck a lot of chords in, in a way that you also said, like, yeah, not about Star Trek, also about the parallels in your own life you find there. It was, was very great to watch. I just, just, I cannot imagine how this series might feel for someone who has never seen anything like Star Trek before. That would be hard. That would be yeah. hard. And it's like 20. I asked my younger colleagues if they enjoyed the series. They told me they enjoyed it, but I, probably in a very different way. All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And we will be back in your ears with more DevOps talks or DevOps topics next week. Take care, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.